Hello, and welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today, I'm chatting with Irma Shute, a holistic anxiety coach. Now, this doesn't mean that she teaches you how to be anxious holistically, uh, but rather a holistic treatment approach to anxiety. And Irma's had her own battles with anxiety, including trying to numb herself completely with substances, leading her to the point where she was faced with the choice to either keep going or to give up. Thankfully, Irma chose to keep going, and she shares her experiences with me today. It's a very vulnerable, raw chat, uh, and Irma is really open about the experience that, uh, experiences that she's been through with her previous battles and her ongoing battles with anxiety, the inner critic, and experiencing the full gamut of emotions that we run as, as humans. The insights Irma's gained going out to meet this discomfort are profound, uh, and we're pretty lucky that she shares them with us today. Now, this conversation is mainly focused around being with anxiety differently, observing that it's there rather than letting it define us. However, there's heaps in here for people that have never had anxiety. And if you haven't experienced it yourself, that's great. But the chances are that you do know someone that has, uh, even if they haven't told you that they have. But regardless of that, the concepts that we talk about uh, can be applied across a wide range of situations about getting uncomfortable, not just in regards to anxiety. And if anyone listening uh, wants to talk, feel free to reach out either to Irma or to myself, um, and we're more than happy to chat. Now, this is actually an interesting follow-up conversation to the mini-episode I released last Friday, talking about optimal anxiety and how we can use that to uh, improve our and maximize our performance. So the anxiety that we talk about today is, is very different, um, but make sure that you head back and check that episode out too, because I think that's, that's valuable for people. Now, just before we kick off the episode, um, you guys want to learn how to make professional looking videos, don't you? Well, my mate Will Fleming has uh, just released an awesome course all about how to make simple but professional videos. I've been I've been working on a couple, and um, unfortunately, I haven't had quite enough time to put into it. Um, so I've got one over on my Facebook page that I've I've had a play with, uh, and I've got some ideas for some other ones that I really want to get going, but. Um, because we've just got a new dog, Fox, who is delightful, um, my time is a little bit uh, its a little bit wrapped up in her at the moment. But I'm looking forward to making some more and improving my skills on them. At the moment, Will and his partners are offering 100 bucks off the course to listeners of the show. Uh, and they also kick us a little bit of commission on the on the uh, payment for the course. So you'll be supporting Uncomfortable is okay as well. So to claim this discount, just head over to howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the code uncomfortable when you're at checkout. 
That's howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the code uncomfortable at checkout. Anyway, on with the show. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Irma and I today. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thank you for spending some time with me today. How are you? I think I'm good. You think you're good? I think I'm good. No, I'm good. Let me just tune in. I'm good. I'm having a good day. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm I'm very good too, thank you. I'm very good too. I was uh, a little bit rushed before and uh, kind of the, the 20 minutes before we, we had our sh- chat scheduled, I just kind of went and sat in the sun and uh, read read my book for a little bit just to kind of bring things down and, and chill out so that I wasn't too excited uh, straight off the bat when we when we get into our talk and kind of go all over the place. Nice one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now. Good. Um, that's an interesting topic, actually, that we, we can just kind of jump straight into is – when you ask people how are you they're kind of the the direct response is either it tends to be either good or not bad which Mm. is kind of interesting and i don't know exactly what that says about the person depending on what the response is but it's such an automatic response that you kind of almost think has this person actually stopped and asked themselves that question or have they just kind of fired that off because that's what they well society tells them that that's what they should respond with i am is such a powerful statement any sentence that starts with i am i think is 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 pretty affirming of where you at and i wish i had the courage chris to just drop any description behind the i am and just stick to i am I wish I had that courage when people ask me how I am <laughs> to not add, to not add anything afterwards, just declare that I am. Yeah. I'm just kind of being here, I'm here with myself in life and in I'm my here. surroundings. I'm here. I'm aware. I am right here with you right now cool. and drop the attachment to a positive or a negative because mm. we attach without us knowing to the description behind the I am. And we often resonate and declare pretty stressful or low vibe I ams to the world without even knowing that we do that. And I believe very much in the power of thought and, and being with thought in a different way that it doesn't rule me so much. And, and disidentifying with my thoughts, stepping stepping back a bit and watching my thoughts, creating a bit of space between me and them helps me without sounding totally loony. It helps me connect to the I am, the awareness, the witness, the observer of what's ever happening with me in this moment. But I think most people would probably want to lock me up in a padded room and throw away the key if I was walking around saying, I am, I am, I am. 
Mm. Are you going? I am. <laughs> maybe, maybe that could be a challenge for us for the next couple of days is when someone asks us, how are you? you we just say, I am. Would you be down with testing that out for the next couple of days oh, and so seeing how it goes? Let's do it. I would be down with that, with being I am. I, I'm going to be. I'm going to be the next few days by cool. declaring that I am. Yeah, I like that. It's on. Awesome. Let's do it. I usually ask people for a challenge for for me and the listeners at the end of an episode, but I think we've kind of come to a challenge right at the start, which is good. So for you people listening, uh, the next couple of days when someone asks you, how are you? Just respond with, I am, and just just be. Mm. Very cool. All right, we've got that bit out of the way to start with. Irma, can you let me and the listeners know a little bit more about yourself, sort of uh, where, you, where you're from, uh, where you grew up? In, in your younger years, were there any really kind of formative experiences that have, have shaped you as a person? Oh, just a few questions. Hey, just a couple. You can, you can break that down. Let's just start with, with the beginning. Who am I? <laughs> So basically asking me who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am known as Uma and uh, I go by that identity for, for most of the time. No, seriously, I was, I was born in South Africa uh, in, in 1978 and I grew up uh, in the countryside. I was born in Durban and I grew up in the countryside. I'm Afrikaans. It's my first language. I spoke Zulu before I spoke English. So I do apologize for my English. It's not proper. My boyfriend's always taking the piss out of me. And I grew up in a family that was pretty interesting, not the normal family. My dad, bless his soul, he's very nationalistic, very religious, very um, conservative. My mum, who passed away in 08, 09, 09, she was the complete opposite. She was liberal. She was a free thinker. She was... um, very left field, and she was very formative in my upbringing. She she gave me the language to express my emotions. She was uh, a person who allowed me the freedom of expression, and I'm, I'm I'm really grateful for that. The older I get, the more I value her influence in my life. She was a gifted homeopath. She taught me that nature is good. She inspired me to look at what nature has to offer when things go wrong in my body. And she also also let me understand from an early age that I'm so much more than my form. I remember having conversations with her when I was a little girl because I've always felt um, uncomfortable in my body. Not because I don't like my body, but I've always felt restricted in my form. I've always felt that it's a, a a dense place, this place called Earth, that I somehow have left home, that this isn't home, that I'm just visiting this place, and that it's pretty fucking hard being here as a human being and being in this body. It's high maintenance. Life is freaking high maintenance, and the body's high maintenance, and getting through a day is high maintenance. And I've had this resistance as a child even to be fully where I am with what I have and enjoy it. And mum helped me to navigate myself through that because as a kid, I was incredibly anxious and fearful and, and things, things got to me. You know, I, I, I was a sensitive kid 
And she she could recognize that in me. She, I think she could recognize a lot of herself in me because we had a lot in common. And she influenced me greatly, Chris, to question my thoughts, to question society, to question mainstream, to question. Question, seek. Seek your truth. Your truth is so unique. Go seek it, Irma. That's what she, she helped me with. So um, I left South Africa not because I didn't like it or for political reasons. I left South Africa 10 years ago. I lived in Johannesburg at the time. I was in a corporate job. I didn't like it. And I knew there was more for me. And I knew that it wasn't going to be within South Africa. I always had this curiosity to explore and 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 do what is not expected of me. And I left South Africa a decade ago and I arrived here in Raglan and I fell in love with Raglan. And I and I discovered my soul family, my chosen family, without citing too woo-woo, because I can get a bit woo-woo. And uh, I um I recreated me. It's quite something when you leave a place with 20 kilos of possessions and you have nothing but that and this clean slate, this blank page where no one knows you. And it's up to you to recreate that, whoever that person is. And um, here I am now, 10 years later, still in Raglan, loving it, and very different within my being. Mm. And a lot has happened in the last decade here on planet Earth for me. And um, yeah, to still talk about here on planet Earth, like I'm just visiting. I'm not really from here. <laughs> You're just hanging out for uh, Elon Musk and the, the Mars colonization, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering when am I going to go home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Irma, thank you for sharing that. It's um, I think it gives us a, an interesting insight into kind of into your background and where you've come from. And I mean, I have a couple of questions from from them. Um, they might be relatively superficial, but the kind of things that sort of interested me on the way through. One of them was your parents were quite opposite. How did they work together? Like, did you, didn't. they didn't? They didn't. Oh my God. We, we, I grew up in a very sterile environment. It was not harmonious and loving and affectionate. We did not express our feelings. You swallowed your your fears, you you kept it to yourself. I kept it behind closed doors. I isolated. And it was hard because um, mum and dad, from an, from, I, I can remember from an early age that they were just together because of us. And mum would say that to us, you know. She would say to us, oh, when you, when you grow up and you leave school, I'm going to leave your dad. I'm just hanging around till you finish school. And they slept in separate beds. And it was uncomfortable. And... Um, watching that happen as a kid, you, 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 fe I felt responsible and I wanted to fix it and I wanted to be the good girl and not add more stress to an already quite stressful situation. And I get why as an adult things shifted into a different direction for me as far as substance abuse is concerned. Because I held it together. I was I, I learned how to be a control freak when I was a kid. It gave me a sense of safety because I felt so unsure about my living environment. I never knew just when mum and dad might have another argument and they had these silent spells. They didn't have massive outbursts. They would just turn into these pillars of 
you know, ice and just ignore each other for weeks on end and no one would talk to each other and you would walk on eggshells and it was uncomfortable and not the, not having the freedom to express how I felt. I started controlling things and I became quite obsessive with cleaning and tidying and holding things together, you know, just feeling safe with what I did control. Mm. Um, it wasn't healthy. In hindsight, I look back at that little girl and she never gave herself permission to play and be carefree and to trust. I always lived in fear that mum and dad were going to split up. It was my worst fear. And, um, yeah, there's still a lot of conversations happening with me and that little girl. Mm. With the with that concept of trust, um, did you? I mean, there was there was obviously that external trust that your parents would would split up as well. But did that kind of affect your ability to trust yourself as well and the the things that you were doing? Uh, yes, yes. Um, reflecting back. Uh, I, I was, and I still am in moments, incredibly insecure about my abilities, even though I was reinforced, you know, the love for my parents, both of them, I know for, you know, for a fact I was loved and cared for. Um, but the questioning, the, uh, it, I think it was more trusting the world with my stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not so much trusting me because I'm pretty clear of, of that part of my being, but it's the trusting the world with who I am. That's a biggie to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I think that kind of almost leads into the next question that I wanted to ask you. And you may have a completely different answer about this, but kind of moving into a corporate career from where you were saying you were at with things doesn't kind of, doesn't kind of add up. And I think we, we talked about it a little bit um, before we started recording about putting things out into the world and not trusting the, the world not to, to hurt us with the feedback on that because it's kind of intrinsically linked to us. But um, I've actually just started reading a book at the moment called The Mask of Masculinity. Um, which is the, the masks that we put on as men. And obviously I've, I'm just kind of, I, it only arrived yesterday. So I've just kind of read the first chapter. So I don't purport to, uh, sort of be, uh, to, to provide great feedback on it just yet. Um, but there are, there are so many different masks that we put on as, as men and as, as women as well in terms of, I think partly for, for that lack of trust in, in the world and kind of being our being ourselves and kind of showing who we actually are because we see it as quite different to what mainstream society tells us we should be. But actually when you start asking questions of other people, it's something that they feel as well. But they because they're wearing a mask, you don't know that about them either. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting concept. So with that ramble, is that partially one of the reasons you got into that corporate career to start with? To seek validation, to seek work, find well, fitting. Yeah, yeah. Or because you, because um, it seems a, it, it seems a, 
an interesting after being shaped so much by your mother and shaped mm. what what she was doing going kind of the corporate route seems a little bit disconnected from that to me well perhaps i should um bring some clarity to that mm. role it, it was a role within a, a business that was supplying natural medicines okay to the retail market in South Africa. And uh, I had the PR and training position within this, this business. It's, it's one of South Africa's biggest, you know, wholesalers, manufacturers, and distributors of natural medicines. And prior to that, I was working with my mother within our health food store, which we ran for many years. I literally grew up in this health food store. And we had a practice because uh, I'm a, we haven't even seen that. I'm a, I'm a homeopath and a holistic anxiety coach. And um, I had a, a practice with my mum, and we kind of let go of, of that. And we both moved into this other branch where we could reach more people with the message of nature is good. So we kind of transitioned together to this next level of, of in corporate business in yeah. <laughs> not sitting down and kind of uh, writing reports in a back office somewhere kind of no. corporate yeah sorry so I was I was in and out of aeroplanes and, and towns and cities in South Africa teaching people and inspiring people about natural medicine so it was kind of in line with uh, how I grew up um, but it was a big business you know and when I say corporate that's what I mean by corporate I was living in Johannesburg, Chris, and it it was an experience I'm grateful for because it taught me what I didn't want in life. I've never felt lonely and so um, isolated, even though I was amongst millions of people. It was not a good chapter of my life. Yeah, and and unfortunately, I think we often we need to go through those those chapters and, and kind of find out what it is that we don't want so we can kind of start to move towards what it is that we what it is that we do want and you also make an interesting point there about being in a city of of millions and being lonely and being disconnected and I've had a few conversations with people relatively recently about about that as well as that we're we live in these kind of big societies but we all live as individuals rather than as a as a community and kind of have a really close support network in around us like we like we used to um when we didn't live in such big cities mm. so it's yeah. yeah it's a i think it's and, a, and, a common feeling sorry to interrupt you but this in my experience is the root of all suffering and addiction Mm, mm. The isolation and the disconnect leads to us needing comfort and connection. And I can only speak from my own experience. And for many years, that is where I got my, my connection. That is where I found my comfort. That is where I felt I belonged. It was within substances. And for a while it worked. Hence the fact that I perpetuated it for so long. Um, and now I know differently. Now I know we're probably skipping a whole big chapter mm. here. But yeah. 
Can we can we talk a little bit about about that and about kind of how that how that evolved for you, um, and then kind of working through towards the the re- realization that that's actually wasn't who you who you are who you wanted to be and it wasn't working for you. Absolutely, being aware of my anxiety. And my moments of depression all my life, it makes sense. I could see, looking back now, I could see the snowball start when I was a child. Um, being intense, being serious, being feeling responsible for everything and everyone, uh, being anxious, always expecting the worst is going to happen and, and having those awful predictions about life. It set me up, really, for... Um, for, for things to come. And when I first discovered drugs and alcohol in my late teens, early 20s, I honestly thought that I had discovered the answers to all of my, my, my problems. I instantly, when I remember having my first drink, thinking, oh, my God, I feel normal. I don't feel, I'm not aware of anxiety anymore. I, I feel I, I'm, I feel confident. I can I can mingle, I can socialize, I don't feel so odd. And that set the tone, really, going into my 20s. Because I I needed, I knew, I knew, I had this awareness right from the word go that I wasn't doing it for fun. I was doing it because I needed to feel normal in this very uncomfortable body life world of ours. I needed the comfort that substances gave me and that scared me Chris knowing that that self-awareness right from the word go I I, I'm not surprised that things snowballed the way they did looking back hindsight is such a wonderful thing and because in the moment the the feeling of oh this is okay the feeling I got when I had a wine, the feeling I got when I dropped an ecstasy pool, snorted a line of cocaine, the sensations I experienced in those moments were so lovely. I loved getting drunk and high. I'm not going to lie about it. I loved it because for a moment, I wasn't so intensely aware of my existence here on planet Earth. It was like a bomb. Just for a moment, I felt I could do this thing called life. And I liked it. And it was instant. And I knew that if I had two, three, four glasses of wine, I would just not feel for that moment. And I was willing to pay the price at the time. I was willing to have a hangover the next morning. I was willing to feel depressed for a week after if I had a big weekend, no sleep, and I dropped four or five ecstasy pills in the night. I was willing to pay that price because I so wanted for a moment to not feel. I so wanted to numb. I so wanted to hide. I so wanted to feel comfortable within my discomfort. And that's where I went to the world of substances. And I committed to that real hard. I was trying so so hard to just keep it together. And self-medication helped me for a while to keep it together. But like anything, all it took in in my 30s was a couple of big life events, big stressful, traumatic life events, and that happened to me. Um, life life got real, 
in my 30s and because substances were my way of self-medicating and getting through my fears and my pain and my suffering and my grief and my loss, all of the above, that's where I went, um, I quickly escalated into dependency. Um, when I was 36, 37, within a couple of months, I didn't. I, I was a, a social uh, functional drinker for probably 15 years where I could put a, back a bottle of wine a night and be okay. You know, I, I would function the next day. I felt shit, but I functioned. And I would party hard over weekends and whenever I got the opportunity. But come mid-30s, with that history, and then life happened. I, I, I felt pregnant, and then I had a scan, and then the scan revealed that I had fibroids, uh, which are benign tumors within my womb. And I made the call to terminate, and then literally days later, the boyfriend I had at the time decided this was too much, and he left. And then within weeks, I had pelvic surgery to remove these fibroids from my womb because the biggest was the size of a, a lemon. I had seven of them, and I didn't know I was living with these guys for so long. It explained a lot of my hormonal problems that I had leading up to this moment. But the growths were so um, invasive that they were starting to affect my kidney function, and I and I had to I had to get in there and 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 ask for help. And surgery literally was the best thing under the. Mm -hmm circumstances and then I went through recovery and anybody who's been through recovery know it's a hard job and it's tough and it's scary and it's frustrating and it's lonely and it's painful and I started drinking 24 7 Chris it was I just couldn't deal with all of that I didn't have the ability to be with my pain in the raw physically emotionally mentally I had pain on all those levels it was so intense. It was so overwhelming that my only option was to drink. And I committed hard to drink. I was drinking from the minute I got up in the morning. Eventually, I drank through the night. I couldn't sleep. I started taking sleeping pills. I was on antidepressants. Anything to stop the pain, I tried. And I, and I looked for those, those solutions through external substances. And my body broke. Eventually. On the 25th of July, for four days, and I went psychotic. My mind started to play tricks on me. I get why sleep deprivation is a torture tool. And I, it was a Monday morning, and I was out of booze, and I knew that I didn't have anything in the house. And it was in that moment where I thought, this needs to stop. I can't do this. And that's when the thought of killing this body of mine came into my mind. And that's how desperate I was to stop it, this, this moment, this pain. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do with my little dog? That was the most, most important thing in my life. How, who was going to care for him? I, I needed to make sure that he was okay if I, if I am going to kill myself. And I remember having this bizarre conversation amongst this this, this blurry, foggy, chaotic, out-of-body, in-body, out-of-body, in-body moment. And something happened that morning, Chris. I still don't know what happened, but I obviously didn't decide 
to kill myself. I phoned a friend instead, and I I never I've I don't know why, but a voice there was just something there was this awareness that said to me, phone this friend, and I phoned this friend. Within a moment, she was at my door, and I had not let anybody into my house at that stage. I was so ashamed of how far things had gotten out of control. I, I wasn't even putting my bottles in the recycling bin because there were so many of them and I didn't want my neighbours to see. I totally isolated for possibly two or three weeks. So when she came into my house, it was the first person that actually saw the state of me and that was my moment. That was my moment where I I left the life that I knew and I recreated a new beginning. So I thought I wanted to kill my body, but I wanted to kill my life that I was living up until that stage. And and this is going to sound so freaking dramatic, but I wanted to reborn myself into a new life. And I'm not talking religious. I'm not religious at all. But it was a rebirthing of a new chapter for me, and I knew it needed to be substance-free. And I knew it needed to be different. I knew it needed to be a complete makeover in mind, in body, and in soul. It needed to be that profound. Otherwise, I would not be able to heal. And so I booked myself into rehab, and that's how it started. And this is... This and now I'm here. Fuck, I'm here, still here in body, <laughs> learning to be with my discomfort differently, substance free, touch wood. Mm, Irma, thank you so much for, for sharing that. That's a very, very powerful, powerful story. And it's, yeah, I, I don't particularly know what to say after that, but. I think um, kind of it, it, your your story up to that that point where things just really started to spiral is is kind of not too dissimilar to a lot of people out there and what they what they go through and those those events that kind of tip the tip things over for you again and they're, they're not super uncommon life events that that happen and mm-hmm. I'm glad that you made the call to your friend. So we're sitting here chatting yeah, today. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. You still got your dog? I st- He's right next to me good, here. Good. My, my little freaking fairy Buddha. He's, yeah. he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have him. So with the, I mean, with this, the kind of the rebirth process that you that you've been through it started with it started with going to rehab and obviously there's the the sort of the detox process and then starting to starting to look at rebuilding things and part of it is is stepping into a looking to step into a new identity for yourself from that did you have an idea of kind of the, the identity that you wanted to step into at that point in time, or it was a, I just need to survive this to start with and see where we get to? You know, Chris, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking. And I knew as soon as I got through the detox and I have regained clarity without 
being medicated by anything, I knew, I knew that there was work to be done. And I knew that this was part of the learning. And I knew that this lesson, this graduation that I had surpassed the the pieces of paper I have up on my wall. I had a deep um, knowing that I wanted to be of service and take this experience, which is not unique and is so common, and we don't talk about it enough, I don't think. We stigmatize addiction. We stigmatize mental health. Um, I had a burning desire right from the word go. I was sat there in rehab, and I had moments of profound clarity, and I knew this was the start. This was the start of a different chapter where I was going to I can't help anyone and I can't fix anyone, but I can share my experience and I can share uh, my insights and I can, I can remind people, put it this way, when I was in rehab, I was looking for complementary holistic ways to turn on my mind because I didn't want to leave rehab with medication and I was on antidepressants at the time. I was so freaking stubborn. I wanted to leave there completely substance-free, like no create recreational or prescription. That was my choice. And I know other people choose differently, and that's fine. But for me, I wanted so desperately to meet me, Chris, in the raw, all bits of me, my full spe- spectrum of emotions. I was so done with numbing it that I wanted to be with it all. So I knew I couldn't have any substance in my being that would disconnect me from what was happening within my field of emotions. And I was so determined to create a recovery plan that felt good for me that I started looking. And I knew, I knew somewhere along the line, this recovery plan would somehow help me. So I did. I, I, I put together all sorts to help me rebuild my mind, rewire my central nervous system, help me with my cravings, help me with my sleep, help my adrenals, poor little buggers that they're still alive. I'm surprised. Big shout out to my adrenal glands right now. They keep me going and help my entire system restore itself and then be of service because I come from a world of being of service. I've been a homeopath since I've been 20. You know, I I, I lived in a family where my mum was a homeopath and I knew somehow I was going to come back to my professional life and I knew somehow it was going to come back and and make sense eventually. So, yes, I did have that clarity. And I remember seeing Wayne Dyer, actually. He was in Auckland while I was in rehab, and I got special permission to leave rehab to go listen to him at um, the Civic. He passed away two days later in his sleep in Maui at his residence in Hawaii. So he, I saw him at his last live talk on planet Earth. And I felt like the man was talking to me that night. He sat there on the stage and he started sharing with us his life story. And he started talking about how he said goodbye to alcohol in 1978. Funny, it was the year I was born. And how that shifted his whole way of life. And how then he became the writer, the self-improvement guru that he was, the, the inspiring Wayne Dyer that he became. And he looked at us at one stage and he looked and he said to us, the life you want 
how badly do you want that life and how willing are you to let go of the things that don't serve you? How deep does your desire run to recreate the life that you wish to recreate? Oh my God, Chris, I sat there, tears running, snot dripping, so moved by this man's, this man's presence and that question. And I sat there and I was like, God damn it. This is your time, woman. You, you got to step it up. You got to do what you need to do. This is how burning my desire was to love, not just exist, but to live a full life with me in this body on this planet. I left there and it was like, bum, bum. you got to do this, girl. And I haven't stopped learning and I will continue to learn and I will continue to expand and explore and fail and get things horribly wrong and then do it all over again. And I wish to do it in the raw without substances. Awesome. Again, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so with, I mean, with that, going through rehab, going to see Wayne Dyer, you, you've got all this this uh, passion and, and direction. So it's been an easy process, right, from there on out? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, that was some Kiwi humor there for you. It has been, you know, learning to live with, learning to feel your emotions and not numb them. Fuck, it's one of the hardest things as a as a human being. Mm. Especially when you've been training yourself for 15 years not to feel them because you've been numbing them with substances as well. It's You get pretty good at kind of utilizing that coping mechanism and then all of a sudden you take that away from you and you're like, oh shit, I've got to figure stuff out now and I need to sit with all these shitty emotions and all this discomfort while I'm trying to figure it out too. Um, you, One of the things that you, that you said earlier is that you, you've had to learn to be with anxiety differently. How have you found what seems to work for you? And I know like we, we, we talked about that, hey, it doesn't work all the time and some, sometimes it works better than others. And But what, what sort of process have you gone through to find things that do work for you? And how do you kind of... Ev- continually evolve that process to look to improve it i love that you asked me this question chris thank you i am learning that i am not my anxiety i am realizing that for most of my life i identified with my anxiety and i made it who i was by affirming in the positive almost a hundred times a day, I am anxious, I am anxious. Oh, and that was the story I downloaded into my being. I'm anxious, I'm so anxious. Oh, I'm so afraid. I am, I am, I am, I am. Stress, 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 stress. Anxious, 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 anxious. So I'm learning to witness my anxiety. I am learning to create space between me, the awareness, the observer, the witness, and my anxiety. And I'm learning to have a 
a really good old chat with her when she comes around. And I am learning that when she comes around, because she loves attention and she loves to be the center of attention, she's a bit of a drama queen. I'm learning that when she comes around, she asks for attention by de- being demanding and by, by being overpowering and by filling my mind with thoughts of what could possibly go wrong in the future. She loves to throw these incredible, lavish, worst-case scenario parties, and then she likes to invite all sorts of other guests in my mind, and I'm learning to watch her do this, and when she does this, I stop, Chris. I literally stop because the sensation of anxiety within my body generates certain bodily functions. Like I have a certain response. I was pretty nervous before this this interview. So uh, when anxiety comes around, I'm aware that my heart rate picks up. I'm aware that I, I get a, an, you know, butterflies in my stomach. My breathing becomes very shallow. I, I start to perspire under my arms. Uh, my thought processes become very erratic and, and fleeting. And that's when I know my old friend anxiety is around and I watch her and then I invite her into my being, into my present space. And I shift from mind awareness to sense awareness. What I mean by that is I'm aware I don't reject or resist or deny my anxiety. I I, I acknowledge that it's present. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm aware that anxiety is present. It's very different than saying I'm anxious. I'm aware. Right, okay. And I literally have this conversation with myself. Oh, okay, sweet. She's around. Without judging, without blaming, without resisting, without trying to deny oh, okay, I can sense that she's making me feel this way. Oh, sweet. Okay, what's going on here, Uma? Let's, let's tune into your senses. Let's just come back to the present moment because anxiety loves to go into the future, which is pretty fucking scary. Let's just come back. And I, I love to tune into my sense of smell and I love to use aromatherapy oils when I can or just into my breath. I, I, I come back to my breathing and I come back into my body. Because anxiety likes to take me out of my body. And I forget about what's going on in my body. And when I'm not in my body, I'm not in my present moment. And when I'm not in my present moment, I don't feel safe. And I don't feel calm. And I don't feel supported. So I'm learning to firstly detach, disidentify with the presence of anxiety. I'm learning not to state that affirmation anymore that I am anxious. I flip that. I now say I am aware that anxiety is present. I become the witness. I become the observer of my anxiety. And this works well for anger as well, by the way, all of our other stressful emotions. And then I shift from my mind awareness because anxiety is in the mind into sense awareness. I come back and I choose one of my senses. I love my sense of smell. I step into my breathing. And then lastly, I smile. I literally, in my mind, imagine smiling at my anxiety. And I remind her that she's worthy. I remind her that she's loved. And I remind her that she's safe. Because anxiety is just a different word for fear. 
in my experience. And my fear needs to be reminded that you're okay, buddy. We got this. It's not going to be that bad. Just come back, come back here and let me give you a fucking virtual hug. And let's do this. Let's feel that fear. Let's feel it. Okay. We're going to feel it, but let's just do it anyway. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's a very cool, very thorough process to, to go through with it. And as you say, it's, it's something, it's kind of a process that can be applied across a range of different emotions, um, the, the anger, the fear, the dis- discomfort, the, um, and I mean, even if you're, even if you're getting too excited, you could probably do that as well. You're like, Oh, I just need to, just need to chill this out a little bit. I've had too many handfuls of, uh, jet planes or something, but it's a, it's a challenging process, especially when you start out doing something like that, because it's much harder to to do that than to take a pill or or, or have a drink, and the the frustration sometimes of not being good at it to start with sometimes feeds back into that anxiety or into that anger. It's like, oh shit, man, I'm I'm real angry that I'm being angry <laughs> that I can't I can't disassociate that. Um, and it's again, I, I think an important part of of kind of when you're working on on going through stuff like that is is to understand that it takes a while to get good at something and to to improve these skills that you're that you're working on as well. And it's it's quite good to kind of go back to when people were learning to walk as well as you fell over a whole heap of times before you figured it out. And it's, it, it's similar to, to this and it, it feels real uncomfortable as you go and do it. And as you're kind of working through that process, but I think kind of when I'm, when I'm working on something new, especially if it involves uncomfortable feelings, there is, I have something that I say to myself when I kind of feel that happening is like, just be your friend mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. this, this internal voice and this, the spiral that you start talking to yourself with, um, is, is very negative. Um, and I think part of it starts with actually being aware of that, of what you're saying to yourself and the kind of the processes that are going on in your head. And if you try something and you perceive it doesn't work because you only do it for five seconds and then those voices start up again, that those the negative voices again saying, oh, you're shit at this, um, start up. But actually kind of stepping back and saying, hey, would I be talking like this to one of my mates if they were struggling with that? Usually the answer is no. Depends on the mate, probably, but um, uh, I, th- I think that that's something that has helped me is kind of just thinking, "Hey, I need to be my friend in this process," and uh, just kind of take it take it easy on myself, and that that sometimes helps me deal with the the difficult stuff when I'm I'm working on a new skill or learning something new, and I have those feelings pop up. 
Very true. And I also um, have the experience that my inner critic, who, who, who loves to hang out with anxiety and fear, my inner critic is only trying, like my anxiety and my fear, it's trying to keep me safe. It's trying to keep me playing small. It's trying to keep me in my space of familiarity. And when my inner critic is activated, and it's often when I'm aware of the presence of anxiety and fear, I meet the inner critic also with that love. Like you are meeting it with your being a friend, being with, uh, it's all right, mate, you can do this. You know, even there's no such thing as failure. You know, there's just experience. And it's going to be fucking awkward until it's elegant. It's just part of how this life is wired. Let's, let's just go do it. I'm more inclined to say yes, even when I, when I, when I want to say no in this different and new chapter of my life. And, f- and the, the inner critic in me is never going to go away. It's, it's, mm. And anxiety is never going to go away and fear is never going to go away. It's, um, it's like, like I said to you earlier, it's how I meet them now. And it is the hardest part of being sober. It honestly is, but it's the most empowering part of being sober. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I think that process, that that process of diving into the essence of it all and seeing it with clarity, Chris, I've never seen it with such clarity. And witness when I shift into which gear, whether I'm in fear gear or whether I'm in anxious gear or whether I'm in trusting gear. They all come with different experiences, and I never had the clarity because I was so clouded and so disconnected. I'd rather have the moments of discomfort than have the disconnect. God damn it! I need to put that on a bumper sticker. I'll write that. Uh, I'll write that down. <laughs> I, I go back and I edit this, and I just pull out a whole lot of quotes as well. So that's probably an Instagram one actually later. So people watch out for that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I really like your point that this stuff never goes away. It's kind of there to keep us safe. And we're like evolutionary um, from an evolution perspective. We're we're wired to keep ourselves safe. We're wired to kind of stay in the masses and not go out and do things too differently because that was always something that was quite dangerous. Obviously, we don't quite live in that sort of time anymore, but... The, that evolutionary basis is still there within us, but also kind of from a societal point of view as well, is that we we see that if someone kind of starts to venture outside the norm of or what, what your kind of societal group perceives as norm, normal, they... Sometimes they get shunned. Sometimes they get they get shot down, and um, it doesn't doesn't appear very safe for us as well. So that just kind of reinforces those evolutionary inner voices that we that we have going on. And I think it like you make the point really eloquently. Um, I've kind of previously described it as sort of managing that, but I like how you say I go and meet it and let it be and work work with it yeah leaning into it leaning into it for most of my life you know glennon doyle sees how she used to numb and hide and now she feels and shares and i love that 
I love that. I'm so done with the numbing and the hiding that I'd rather feel and share and feel the vulnerability throughout that process. If there's one thing I realized, and if I knew this earlier on, I would have applied it, but through being vulnerable and speaking about my shame and my guilt, it was like a gateway to me being able to rebuild my life. I held it together for so long and I had so much shame and so much guilt hanging around with me that led me to wanting to numb out even more. The day I went world, this is what I did. This is what happened. This is me naked in front of you with all my flaws. And I still have my flaws and I still have my fuck ups. It's made my existence lighter, Chris, being able, giving myself the permission to share my moments of shame and guilt. It transformed it into moments of more self-acceptance moments because it's not there all the time. Moments of self-love, it's there like lightning across the horizon. It's there just for a moment, but it's allowed space. It's, that was the transformation that I needed in my healing together with CBT and NLP and counselors and therapists and you name it, I had a team, I had an army to help me restore and rewire and rebuild. I didn't do it all by myself. I couldn't. I couldn't. And, and, and the grace of receiving was a biggie for me as well. Going, world, I, I need help. I, I, I'm broken. And and not knowing that the help was there because I didn't think I was deserving and worthy of support. That was another big one. So I don't think that this is something anyone could do on their own. It takes, it takes connection and it takes a a team. Mm. Thank you for making that point. And I think it's so often we do try and go out there and do things on, on our own. And I mean, sometimes we, manage to bumble our way through it but we don't have the skills we don't have the the expertise in it and actually kind of creating a team around us to support our ourselves through any process really um a team of experts is it's just super beneficial with it and um i want to i want to pivot slightly from that point of view about other things that have that have helped you because you've also had a, a pretty transformative experience with uh, marker as well, mm-hmm. which has been quite helpful in the process. Can you kind of let us know a little bit about what that is, how it came into your, into your recovery? Can you hear my smile? You can see my smile. I can see can your smile. Yeah. smile. <laughs> Maka to anybody who doesn't know is an ancient Peruvian superfood that grows high up in the Andes and it's a bulb. It's from, it's, it's, it comes from, it's part of the radish family. It looks like a, like a, a large overgrown radish. And when I was in rehab, I was on this truth seeking mission to restore, rewire, rebuild my mind and my central nervous system and my adrenals. And I somewhere, I think it was David Wolf, they're all fundi. Um, 
I think I read somewhere that he recommended maca for adrenal support and hormonal support. Me with my history of fibroids and my history of addiction, it spoke to me. And I just had this sense that I need this in my body. So I started taking it together with a range of other things as well, Chris, supplements, homeopathy, Bach flower essences, herbal remedies, you name it. I, I, I had this complete package that felt good for my body. And maca was the superfood that that made up that, that package. And I came out of rehab, kept on using maca, and I started my business and started, you know, sharing with people what it is that I do for myself every day. And I share my information with maca to my clients. And in April this year, uh, a couple that have a company called Selino Health, uh, they messaged me and they said to me, oh, we heard that you are quite a fan of Maka and that you recommend it to people and that you use it. Can we come and see you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they came around to my house and we had this instant connection. Sally, she's Peruvian. Corin, he's a biochemist. He's a, he's, he's a Kiwi. They have this this company called Selino Health and Selino Health do one thing really well and that's Peruvian maca. And we started talking and Sally with her history with Peru and her connection with, because she, she has Inca in her, uh, she opened up this world of possibility around maca and she, she, she sparked a curiosity in me. And I sat there with them in my lounge thinking, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing to go to Peru and get to meet maca firsthand in her environment where she flourishes. And a couple of weeks later, they invited me to join them in Peru in July this year, which is harvest time, because they sourced their maca from a farmer in Hunan, which is high up in the Andes, in the middle of nowhere. You've got to travel hours by by by, by four by four and by plane, and it's it's really it's in the middle of nowhere. It looks like Mars. And they source their maca from this farmer, and they are the only maca here in New Zealand that is straight from the farm to the table. Ethically, um, the social responsibility towards this community, it's just beautiful. So there's lots to say about Selino Health. I'm not being paid, by the way, to say this. I just absolutely respect what this couple is doing for maca and for social justice and fairness. But Corin, with his science background, honestly, he knows so much about maca. I felt so privileged to spend with time with them and learn from him the mode of action and the science of this plant, and it just blew my mind. I, I remember getting to the birthplace of maca because maca grows where nothing else grows, Chris. It's arid, it's dry, it's sunny, it's hot, it's cold at night. And it only grows between 3,800 and 4,200 meters above sea level. And literally nothing else grows there. You struggle to breathe at that level. I was so sick with altitude sickness. And I I looked at this crop and I just got it. I got why I was drawn to it. And I got why maca does what it does. Because maca is the ultimate survivor. Maca thrives when nothing else grows. Maca wants to be put to the extreme. The more extreme the growing conditions, the more medicinal the bulb. 
and it just clicked into my head. I stood there in this landscape and I was like, this is why when we are stressed, when we are pushed our limit, when we think we can't carry on, when we've come to the end of the road and we need extra strength, why Maka delivers that strength into our beings. It's like it downloads this program, this survival program into our hormones, into our adrenals, into our reproductive system. It downloads this, you're going to be just fine, chica, dude, you're going to be fine. It brings that message to our bodies. And then the science of it, oh, my God. I get why my body wanted it because maca contains an active ingredient called maca mites. And maca mites help to restore and regenerate and stimulate and boost the amount of endocannabinoids that you have running around in your body. We all have endocannabinoids. These are our bliss molecules. And the more endocannabinoids you have in your body, the less anxious you are, the more chilled you feel, the better your sleep, the better your memory, the better your pain. The endocannabinoids have a really important function in your body. And macamides lifts, boosts the body's ability to make endocannabinoids, and particularly a molecule called anandamide. Ananda in Sanskrit means bliss. So maca literally enhances your bliss molecule within your, your being. And I was like, okay, I'm so grateful. I listened to my body in 2015. I get why maca makes me feel the way it makes me feel because I get a sense of calm, connection, groundedness when I have maca and why my hormones and my brain and my adrenals feel so much better when I have it look where it comes from. Oh my God, it survives where nothing else survives. It brings that strength, that wisdom into my body. Thank God for my car. Um, so in my life today, I look at Maka with much fondness. I rely on it daily to keep me well. It's one of my go-to foods that I use to um, keep me sane, to help me sleep. Uh, when I'm premenstrual, I take more because it, it helps with that. My partner, he loves it because it's great for, for, for the male body as well, for both male and female hormonal beings. It, it, it restores. And I'm so grateful that I meet Selena Health and that I know of Corin and Sally and their maca. And their maca is by far, in my opinion, the most medicinal and most authentic maca on the market. There are many macas around. And some are not that uh, effective in therapeutics. And, um, yeah, I can keep talking about Marcus. So just stop me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, sounds, it sounds amazing. Um, <clears throat> I think with, with that, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things with it is so much of kind of how we feel does uh, – come from what we're what we're putting in to our body physically nutritionally and and mentally as well kind of the, the stimulus that we that we put in there and i think i mean that's a a fantastic uh a fantastic um concept of sort of t- 
taking something and, and putting it into your body for for the beneficial result. Now, I am going to play devil's advocate with this next question with you, though. Um, you you mentioned that you're reliant. You feel that you're you're reliant on marker. How does that differ, your reliance on marker at the moment, to your reliance on substances previously? Great question. And the answer is very clear to me. Maka brings me closer to who I am. It doesn't pull me away. It enhances my connection to self. It does not numb. It does not blur. It does not um, manipulate my perception of reality in any way whatsoever. I do not feel high or drunk when I have maka. I feel grounded and earthed and anchored in my physicality and I feel strong and radiant and resilient within that space. Maka is not the only reason that's happening, but it's one very big piece of the puzzle. And so anything right now in my life, Chris, that takes me closer to the space of equilibrium, I want some of that. Even if I become reliant on that, just like I'm reliant on air to keep me here on planet Earth and reliant on meditation and reliant on affirmations and all the fuzzy, unicorny, glittery stuff that I bring into my life more of, I would way more be, and I'm comfortable saying reliant on those because it pulls me closer to who I am, not further away. Cool. Cool. I like, I like that answer. Um, it, Obviously, I, I come from a science background as well. If people kind of want to find out more about marker and more about kind of the biochemical properties and exactly sort of how it works, are there any uh, really good resources out there that they can look into that stuff? A good question again. Yeah, they can get hold of Corin, Dr. Corin Stalky from Selino Health. Uh, or you could just go browse the Selino Health website, Selino Health, S-E-L-E-N-O, health.com. It has all of it and then some on there. And uh, Karen can be contacted through the website and he, uh, he, can, he can offer you whatever as far as the science is concerned. Cool, cool, cool. I will uh, I'll pop a link to that in the notes for the show. Irma, I have some questions that I last, like to ask everyone towards the end of our chat. So I will I will jump into them now, actually. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? This is going to be odd. Hear me out. Maybe you will understand because of what we've been talking about. But on Monday, I posted a rather vulnerable and raw uh, piece of writing on social media about it was an apology letter to my body. It was a love letter to my body. And I publicly declared my sincerest apologies to my body for all the years of neglect, abuse, and torture I put her through. And that sparked a really strong sense of discomfort in me 
even though I felt compelled to share it with the world. But it was pretty scary because I got really, uh, I got it got personal, and I just had a sense that I needed to share this with no attachment to the outcome. So that was pretty uncomfortable. So I was with it. I was with the discomfort. And yet I spoke my truth, even though my voice trembled. And it's healing to me to write and to share. And it it also um, allows people to connect with me. You know, when you give yourself permission to be vulnerable, it's like you give other people permission to be vulnerable and you kind of drop the facade of the and the pretense and um the post was it provoked quite a lot of strong yeses and no's and i was with both the acceptance and the rejection of the post which is not easy the rejection part no no not at all and we've talked about that uh already and and i think i mean you make a couple of other really good points there as well as that actually opening yourself up to be vulnerable gives other people the permission for them then to be vulnerable and to to help tell their story uh, and and open up and, and drop that drop that mask and every time every time we tell our story we we get something different from it we kind of figure something new out or we heal a little bit from from telling that story so there's always as long as we're aware of what we're doing there's always something new that we can take away from it and chris not attached to the story so much have the willingness to rewrite different chapters of your story mm yes yeah, yeah, I like that. Maybe that could be the title of the podcast. Um, next question for you is what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? I am going to have a hang gliding lesson on Saturday. Nice. And that is uncomfortable to me because I've never done it. My my boyfriend's a very uh, experienced a pilot. He's been hang gliding for as long as I can remember. And I resist. I resist being um, out of control of things. And on Saturday, I'm going to be so in the hands. I am. I'm putting my life, literally, my life, in the hands of other people, and I need to trust that. And with with my history of anxiety that's a biggie and there's a reason why I'm doing this because it scares the living bajazes out of me thinking that I'm going to do it I'm not doing it out of fun I'm doing it because I know I have to it's like therapy to me and trusting that I will be looked after by these people in a space where something could potentially go horribly wrong so hello anxiety and being with it and getting through it and perhaps having some fun on the way. That's mm. what I'm doing. Very cool. Yeah. I just had a flashback of when I jumped out of a plane a couple of months ago and uh, just that initial rush and just kind of felt that felt that feeling in my gut <laughs> when you were talking about that, about that first drop out of the plane. And it's, in hindsight, it's super fun. At the time, it scares the shit out of you, though. Um, yeah. But that's that's the point. 
with it really yeah. um Irma, do you have any, we've talked about this kind of already but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations in a nutshell chris this is what i say to myself every single time i'm feeling unsure uncomfortable afraid my worth depends not on the outcome of this situation or person. Mm. My worth depends not on the outcome. And I surrender. I let go of the expectation around the outcome. I disengage. And I find when I remember, I don't always remember doing it because it's something I do a lot. But when I'm, when I practice this, it helps me get clear and just gets me into a space of perspective so that I don't get so overwhelmed by what could possibly go wrong. Then I enter the space with, I wonder what's possible here with a curiosity. I, hmm, whatever is going to be here is going to be here and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And let's just fucking have some fun, Irma. Because your worth does not depend on whether this is a resounding success or an absolute failure. Your worth does not depend on the outcome. Mm. It could be another great title for the podcast as well, actually. <laughs> I, re I really like that one. I really like that one. Um, Irma, I've got a couple more questions for you, but I just want to take a minute to say thank you for, for sharing some time with me today. It's been really cool to sit down and talk, but also thank you for being so open and honest about your story but also for kind of informing us that we we aren't our thoughts we aren't our feelings we aren't our emotions they don't define us as as people so thank you thank you for that thanks Hopefully these next questions are relatively straightforward for you. The first one is if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? How can they do that? They can visit my virtual home, which is irmashoot.com, I-R-M-A-S-C-H-U-T-T-E. It's a tongue twister. I know it's Afrikaner in me, irmashoot.com, S-C-H-U-T-T-E. Uh, or you can find me on Facebook, uh, Irma, uh, Holistic Anxiety Coach. And you can flick me a message there. So, yeah, that's, I think, cool. the, the, cool. the easiest way to see connection. Yeah, I will link that up in the notes for the show as well. What's next for you? Where are you, where are you going next? Other than hang line on Saturday. <laughs> and then getting high on Saturday. Yeah. No pun intended. What next? Good question, Chris. Uh, what next for me is to f further expand into spaces that make me feel uncomfortable. So I am, I am, <laughs> I've not said this to the world yet. So now I'm going to be held accountable. I, I'm, I'm, it's stated in the positive and in the – I'm writing a book. Cool. And the book will be about anxiety and being with it differently. That's that's what's on the horizon for me. And 
wherever that will take me is wherever that will take me. But I have a burning desire to put my experiences and thoughts, whether they're relevant or not, on paper. And with the hope that it might bring someone who is trapped in the space of anxiety and depression, bring them some hope. Mm. That is. And talk, about it. talk about it more, Chris. I, I open up that can of warpass and, and be real about our dark sides and, and know that the darkness is there only to remind us of our light. I, I have a problem with the world of self-development and self-improvement and positive thinking because I think it's not all about that. It, it sets you up for failure, thinking that you have to always just be positive and always just be happy and always just be working on improving yourself and flying and succeeding and, and just being the best person that you could possibly be. You know, it, it's not real. Being human isn't all about that. Being human is also about feeling the everything. It's about everything. And if I, if I have one mission, it's to become more familiar with that, allowing Allowing that full spectrum of emotions that I have to be and not judge, not judge the emotions that I deem negative and allow the negative moments to come and go because I know one thing for sure only and that is nothing lasts forever. No feeling is final and that negative emotion will make way for a positive one. It's just the law of duality. It's how this creation is made. We, it's, it's perfect. I, I'm learning, and I'd, I'd love to continue learning to explore that without so much resistance, Chris. It's not getting easier. It's just becoming more of a, a mission for me to dive into that more. That is a fantastic answer. And... Yeah, you're definitely going to be held accountable about that book now as well. You have to come back and chat with me about it when it, uh, when it comes out. I would, I would love that. Thanks, Chris. And I am. How, let's not forget about our challenge. Yes, how, I am. How are, how are you, Chris? I am. How are you? I am. Very good. And, yeah, a reminder to everyone listening as well, the next couple of days – that's how we want you to answer that question, just with I am. Irma, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you for having me and allowing me to be uncomfortable. There you have it, guys. Uh, I hope you took something out of the conversation that Irma and I had today. Uh, at times, it was obviously pretty heavy. Um, but it's important to, to talk about this stuff and um, actually not kind of just let it bottle up inside us and, uh, and kind of fester away. Um, that There are a lot of people out there that can, can help us and support us. And there are a lot of people out here that are out there that are going through similar things to, to what uh, Irma uh, went through. So, if you're struggling, make sure that you do reach out for help and um, yeah, feel free to get in touch with Irma or get in touch with myself and more than happy to, to have a chat with you about things. Again, guys, uh, just before we head away today, uh, if you want to make, uh, if you're looking to make simple yet professional videos, make sure you check out uh, howtomakesimplevideos.com. Use a 
the code uncomfortable at checkout to get a hundred bucks off the course. Uh, it's a great course. Hopefully I'll be bringing out a few more videos soon. Uh, if you're not into making videos, there are a couple of other ways that you can support the show. Uh, sub, sub, uh, bleh. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app um, so you get a new episode every Tuesday and a new mini episode every Friday. Uh, this Friday's episode is all about um, five strategies that you can use to help you approach uncomfortable situations. Uh, if you've listened to a couple of episodes, then make sure to leave us a review. Uh, it really helps the uncomfortable is okay idea get into more ears and minds. Uh, share the episode out on social media or with your mates. Uh, or you can donate a couple of bucks to the show via www.patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay. Uh, that just helps out with uh, with hosting and um, and the other associated costs of, of running a podcast. As well, guys, remember the challenge this week. When someone asks you how you are, respond with I am so that you just be. Anyway, guys, uh, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Irma and I today, uh, and we'll see you again on Friday. Bye.